Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 60th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we've got lots of updates on what's taking place at the federal level related to clean energy and what it could possibly mean for us here in the state of North Carolina. But before we dive into the latest on that front, let's jump into some quick news. If you recall from our last episode, rumors were flying off the wall related to some major potential economic development news in North Carolina. Well, excitingly enough, those rumors have turned out to be true. Earlier this week, Toyota officially announced plans to invest $1.29 billion in the state of North Carolina to manufacture electric vehicle batteries. This investment will support the build-out of a new factory not far outside of the Greensboro area, which will create 1,750 new jobs and support battery assembly for 1.2 million vehicles annually. This is incredibly exciting news for North Carolina as we've been trying to recruit a major automotive manufacturer to the state for quite some time. But that's not all on the electric vehicle front. On the same day, electric bus and van manufacturer Arrival announced that they'd be expanding further into the North Carolina market with an additional investment of $11.5 million in a battery module production facility in Charlotte. This announcement includes plans to create 150 new jobs in the region. As a quick reminder to our listeners, Arrival previously announced that Charlotte would be the U.S. headquarters for their company, slated to open in spring 2022. In total, they're planning for a headcount of 800 employees in Charlotte with more than $100 million invested. Both of these announcements further solidify North Carolina's role in the electric vehicle market, with companies already in our state that manufacture EV charging infrastructure and others that source materials critical to the manufacturing of lithium-ion batteries. We are fully in the Clean Energy Awards season, as there were three different events held this week to recognize all of the hard work and achievements that have been made over the course of the past year here in the state of North Carolina. The week started off with NCSEA hosting our annual meeting in which we recognized 11 individuals and organizations that were instrumental to the success of the ecosystem this year. Without diving into all of our award winners, I'll mention that Professor Bob Powell of North Carolina A&T University won this year's Lifetime Achievement Award. Ajuo Otho, a voice you heard on last week's episode, won the Diversity and Inclusion and Sustainable Energy Award, and Robinson Consulting Group and Kairos Government Affairs won the Sustainable Energy Businesses of the Year Awards. We'll provide a link in the show notes for a full list of awardees. Earlier this week, our friends over at the Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy and Conservatives for Clean Energy also held their annual Clean Energy Champions event in which Senator Tom Tillis and Representative John Zoka were recognized for their leadership, along with a number of other businesses and chambers of commerce. We'll include a link to the recording of the event in today's show notes. And last up on the awards circuit this week was the Research Triangle Clean Tech Clusters annual meeting, in which they also recognized political, business, and municipal leaders. Their award ceremony was capped off with Governor Cooper on hand to receive his award as Clean Tech Champion of the Year. 
other legislative leaders were recognized as well, including Representative John Zoka, Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger, House Speaker Tim Moore, House Democratic Leader Robert Reeves, and Senate Democratic Leader Dan Blue. Whoop. All right, without further ado, let's jump into today's topic. There's been a lot of action taking place recently at the federal level when it comes to infrastructure and also with the proposed Build Back Better Act. Each of these bills includes significant allocations of funding dedicated to the deployment of clean energy technologies. With all the conversations taking place around these bills, we figured today's episode could be an opportunity to get a clearer picture of clean energy related items in both of those bills, what it would mean for North Carolina, and the current status of each bill. So let's introduce our guest who can talk at length about what to expect moving forward. Clean energy. Clean energy. Our guest on today's episode currently is a government relations manager at the Environmental Defense Fund, focusing much of his time and attention on federal policy. Previously, he handled energy and environmental policy in the U.S. House of Representatives for Representative Barbara Comstock of Virginia and also North Carolina's Representative Patrick McHenry. While our guest spends most of his time working on policy in Washington, D.C., he's actually located right here in our backyard of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Please welcome Chris Worrell, Manager of Government Relations at the Environmental Defense Fund to the podcast. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. And just as a heads up for our listeners, before we get started, today's interview was recorded on the road, so audio quality might not be up to par with what you're used to. You might hear a little bit of background audio, but nonetheless, the content is still great. So on that note, I hope you enjoy today's episode. So Chris, for some additional background for our listeners, uh, can you provide some more information on the work that you and your team do over at EDF? Yeah, thanks. So EDF is one of the largest environmental organizations in the world. We have offices all over the United States, Asia, Europe, and the Caribbean. Uh, We like to focus on scientific and economic solutions to find practical and long-lasting answers to our most serious environmental issues. We have experts in the fields of climate, ecosystems, health, and oceans, which allows us to work collectively with other environmental groups, business partners, government agencies, and directly in communities. I work directly in the political affairs team where my colleagues and I take all of that information that the really smart people I just mentioned give us to Capitol Hill and advocate for common sense policy solutions. I would have to say that you you probably have one of the hardest jobs, though, uh, you know, on the team at, at EDF and, and any sort of organization as, you know, wading through everything down on, on Capitol Hill and policy speak is not an easy job, uh, to say the least. And so that's part of the reason why we have you on today's episode is to help to translate for, for our listeners what's going on uh, down at Capitol Hill as it relates to a couple of pieces of legislation that I know many of our listeners have been tracking as it relates to clean energy and potentially large investments being made in clean energy. So one of those specific bills that we wanted to chat about today includes the recently passed infrastructure bill that includes a number of provisions focused on clean energy. So just at a, at a high level, can you tell us a little bit more about what's included in the bill on the topic of clean energy? 
Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, the House recently passed that bipartisan infrastructure package. Um, it got nearly full support from the Democratic caucus, as well as 13 Republicans. As we've all probably been keeping up with, the same bill passed the Senate several months ago with a strong bipartisan support, including from both senators from North Carolina. Uh, the legislation is a historic investment in our nation. It builds the competitiveness for our economy and infrastructure through the rest of the century. That bill directs about $65 billion to upgrade our transmission lines and our electrical grids. That's going to be huge for the clean energy industry. It also builds out the first ever national network of electric vehicle chargers in the United States. That's going to help accelerate the adoption of EVs to address the climate crisis and support domestic manufacturing jobs. It's going to deliver thousands of American-built electric school buses, which we should also note a good portion of are built right here in North Carolina with uh, Thomas buses. Um, I know this is an energy-focused podcast, but the infrastructure package also is going to provide clean drinking water to about 10 million American homes and 400,000 daycare centers and schools that are currently without a safe source of drinking water due to PFAS contamination and lead service lines. There's believed to be tens of thousands of lead service lines in North Carolina, and I think we're all pretty familiar with the uh, the PFAS contamination from the Titan cement plant in the Cape Fear River. So all of that is huge EDF priorities, and we're really excited they got into the infrastructure package. Yeah, that's really exciting to to hear about all of those investments, uh, especially as you talk about electric school buses. And, you know, we're really excited to have Thomas built buses right here in our backyard. Actually, earlier this year, uh, I know the, the vice president had come down to North Carolina to tour that facility with Governor Cooper. And we actually talked a little bit about that on a previous podcast episode, uh, episode 50, where we interviewed the governor. Um, so. Talking about North Carolina, digging a little bit deeper, is there funding specifically allocated in this bill uh, that would be invested here in the state of North Carolina? So yeah, according to uh, White House estimates, North Carolina could receive around $109 million over the next five years to expand its EV charging network. There's also $2.5 billion in grant funding available for EV charging um, throughout the bill, there's other opportunities for North Carolina to get grants for resiliency, for lead service lines, for legacy pollution, like abandoned mines, which there are not many of in North Carolina, but there are super site funds like the one at Camp Lejeune um, that has contaminated water at Terra Terrace. Um, so there's many grants and other opportunities outside of just the energy space that North Carolina could receive. Yeah, and, and just to you know, continue on the, the point about EV charging infrastructure. You look at companies here in North Carolina, like ABB, as an example, who manufacture EV charging infrastructure. That sort of investment in the state and across the country would be huge for them uh, as it really could ramp up their, their manufacturing uh, and deployment of their charging infrastructure. And we also have other manufacturers here in North Carolina, including uh, recently announced Arrival, uh, who will be manufacturing uh, these these vans and, and minibus uh, electric vehicles uh, with new manufacturing facilities and offices in the Charlotte area. And I know down in South Carolina, we also have electric bus manufacturer Proterra as well. So these sorts of investments would be a huge boon for, for these types of companies in our region. Since we talked about, you know, some of the, the $109 million for EV charging infrastructure, uh, we've seen 
you know, other numbers thrown around, you know, like funding for the state energy program here in the state of North Carolina and other investments in, you know, low and moderate income communities via the, you know, weatherization assistance programs. Can you talk a little bit more about what these types of investments would mean for the state of North Carolina and and how that would work for the EV charging community and also the low and moderate income communities across the state? Yeah, no, Matt, that's a really good question. And this is a lot of money. When we look at how to spend this money, we have to correct and not repeat the historic inequities that have traditionally shaped our infrastructure planning. The burden of air pollution is not evenly shared. Poor people and some racial and ethnic groups are among those who often face higher exposure to pollutants and who may experience greater responses to such pollution. Luckily, those that negotiated this package and the Build Back Better package ensured funds would create resilient communities, remove legacy pollutions like abandoned mines and superfund sites, replace lead service lines for safe drinking water, and provide equal access to the clean, reliable transportation in underserved communities that we were talking about. So we spent some time talking about the infrastructure bill that recently received the president's signature. Um, and you know now we're moving into next stages of implementation. But looking ahead, there's another big piece of legislation that's out there that a lot of folks have been tracking, yourselves included, over at EDF, which is Build Back Better. Can you give us the latest status of that bill, what we're expecting for it moving forward, how it might change, and when we could possibly see a signature from the president? Yeah, um, that's correct. On November 15th, the House passed the single most significant piece of climate legislation ever. The bill is incredibly important to in an effort to transition to a climate-safe economy. Um, as far as where it stands right now, um, it's fluid, which means we don't know. Um, it could be three to four weeks, possibly, before we finally see this package completed and sent to the president. Um, and that's just part of the process. Um, this bill's moved on to the Senate. It's not new to the upper, upper chamber, though. They've been going back and forth on this framework for months now, but we are getting closer to a conclusion. It's going through what we call the reconciliation process. Um, and for those listeners that aren't familiar with that, it's a special parliamentary procedure to the Senate um, and it must follow certain rules. One key part of that is the Byrd rule, which prevents the bill from increasing the federal deficit after 10 years. It's expected that some of the House passed language will be removed to gain support of all 50 senators needed to pass the bill in the Senate. We at EDF, as well as partners we are working with, um, are trying to ensure that the clean energy provisions that were in the House Pass bill are protected. There are some non-energy related provisions that are more likely on the chopping block we're hearing. Um, there's debate over the SALT tax, um, immigration policies, paid family leave policies, and probably numerous others. But we feel confident with the work we've done on the clean energy and transportation space that those um, provisions are fairly safe. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Uh, you know, as our listeners may know, it's a fairly comprehensive bill that includes a number of different provisions that cover a number of different industries and sectors. But let's dive into the clean energy portion of it. What specifically is included in the bill as it relates to clean energy? And how would that help us meet some of our clean energy and carbon goals established by the federal and state administrations? One of those key levers is an array of tax credits that were passed out of the House Ways and Means Committee. This included a full 10-year extension and more flexibility to the clean energy tax credits. Um, the tax package also includes credits to promote 
domestic supply chain issues with electric vehicle and manufacturing. It's going to fund grants, rebates, and loans to commercialize emerging clean energy technologies, reinvest in energy communities, um, support state and local climate pollution reduction plans like we just recently passed here in North Carolina, and reduce methane emissions from the waste from oil and natural gas operations. All of this is going to give us a great down payment on how to reach our emissions goals. I like that that analogy. Uh, down payment to meeting our emissions goals. Um, you might have helped me find the title for this episode. Uh, and and so, you know, we we just kind of briefly hit on in that last question, uh, the, the tax credits that were included in the bill. I know that's been a, a key area of focus for many stakeholders in the clean energy ecosystem. So can you talk a little bit more about these tax credits and what it would mean for the industry as a whole? Yeah. So the tax credits that the Ways and Means Committee included, they're going to carry existing renewable energy incentives forward and ensure that taxpayers can leverage them efficiently. First, the ITC and the PTC will be extended for a full 10 years, and they created a standalone energy storage tax credit, which we did not have before. This is going to give developers the long-term certainty they need for planning out projects. These are also popular provisions that have been supported on both sides of the aisle. It also gives solar energy facilities more flexibility to choose what tax credit, whether that's ITC or PTC, fits best for each individual project. And then commercial solar projects will have the ability to take advantage of direct pay. This makes it easier for taxpayers without substantial taxable income to build a clean energy project. All of these provisions will ensure developers are able to receive the full benefits of existing tax credits and access the funds needed to bring new projects into the development pipeline. This is going to help create new jobs along the way. These incentives are also targeted to create solid domestic supply chains and wind, solar, and other critical clean energy industries. The key provision that you had talked about right there that I think is really important and and this isn't to say it's more important than any of those others, uh, but something that I'm really excited about is, you know, tax credit for the storage industry. As, as many of our listeners know, and as you and I both know, storage is going to be crucial for the continued deployment of clean energy generation resources across the grid. And we're already starting to see that with a number of our members at NCSEA who are increasingly pairing storage with any solar projects that they're developing in North Carolina and other states. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing that in, in other regions across the country as well as wind continues to take off and, and other generation resources as well. So that will continue to help that industry move more into the maturation phase as, as clean energy continues to grow. Uh, so obviously our, our industry, as we were just talking about, is, is growing at a exponential rate. One of the fastest growing sectors of the economy why is legislation like the infrastructure bill and potentially the Build Back Better Act, if it were to pass, necessary with an industry already seeing as much success as it is? So the urgency is needed to protect our economy and communities from the threat of climate change. If we fail to take action, we will continue to see our coastlines devastated by storms and floods. We're going to see more droughts and we're going to see more wildfires. But these two plans together include a strong investment to reduce emissions from the transportation, electrical power, and general manufacturing industry. 
The tax credits represent the single greatest opportunity to reach our climate goals and will also create millions of new jobs and promote a healthier and more equitable society. All of which North Carolina is really set up to prosper from. We have a great workforce and we already have the foundation to be a leader in these industries. I expect that to continue. Chris, we talked about a lot of really exciting provisions in both the infrastructure and Build Back Better as it relates to clean energy. For our listeners who are curious to dive in deeper, find out a little bit more about the specific language that's included in there and what it would mean for North Carolina, and then also for the latest status updates on Build Back Better, where can they go for some more information there? Yeah, please check out edf.org. Um, there you can find our Build Back Better live blog. We update it with information on if and how the bill will change and where we are in the process. Chris, I really appreciate you taking some time to join us today on this Weekly Clean Energy podcast and talk more about these major pieces of federal legislation and how they might impact clean energy moving forward. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I'm looking forward to having you back on in the future to talk a little bit more about implementation of the measures in these bills and status updates on the Build Back Better uh, bill as well. So, Chris, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to talking to you next time. My key takeaway from today's episode is the sheer scale and diversity of investments being made at the federal level to help usher in the clean energy transition. As a clean energy community, we'll need to make sure that we're well-equipped to handle the influx of funding to ensure it's spent in the areas of highest potential impact to affect change as quickly as possible, while also making sure we're supporting communities of all backgrounds. I know many at the state level, along with private and nonprofit organizations, are starting to plan for this next wave of investment. So now's the time to get creative and build a collective vision around what we're trying to achieve. We'll make sure to continue providing updates on funding allocation as we find out more information and move further down that process. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout, at Matt Abel, M-A-T-T-A-B-E-L-E, for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 60 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See you all later.